Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. Today we have a special guest, the economist from Gold Birch Gold, and he is here with us uh, once again, and that is Philip Patrick. And uh, Phil Philip, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Paul. Very good. We'll be talking today a little bit about budget, and you've done a little bit investigating there, and, and I assume from the little note you sent me that you're not too gung-ho over Biden's budget. Uh, wouldn't be surprised, but we'll talk about budgeting and how that affects the economy. But uh, also, before, before we start, I want to talk a little bit about what gold uh, has done in the last couple of days. You know, a couple of days ago, gold, gold was up a little bit. And then uh, this, the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board came in and said, oh, we're, we're not going to lower interest rates. You know, and uh, what astounds me, and I'm, I'm sure you're quite aware of how just one or two words might make a big difference when it's the Federal Reserve Board chairman. It also, to me, reflects the fact that they don't know what they're doing anyway. But, uh, you know, he, he announced that, no, I'm not going to lower interest rates. And the market goes, wow, boom, down. And, uh, and yet today, you know, one day later, uh, you, you know, oh, no, he had an exception. Uh, he said that uh, uh, I don't want to do this. I have to be cautious. I have to protect the economy and all that stuff. He says, unless there's sudden labor deterioration would hasten the cuts. So, uh, he's, so he always has an exception. So I was wondering whether today might have been that exception because uh, today gold prices see a bounce as U.S. weekly jobless claims rise to 224K. You know, it, so, so today gold bounces back up again. That to me doesn't guarantee that we know exactly what's going to happen because they don't know what's going to happen and millions and millions of people who are in investing money they're the ones who make that make the decision but uh, I think that little uh, spat with uh, with the chair, Federal Reserve Board chairman indicates that uh, they're they're not quite sure what they're doing and that's I think why our economy gets so messed up what do you think yeah I mean I, I would agree with that vehemently and I think we've been seeing that with the markets actually for quite a while now we saw you know the end of last year the market the stock market that is would rally on the back of sort of positive words from the federal reserve chairman when they would get a little bit more bearish we'd see a collapse and we're seeing the same thing now right end of last year the federal reserve at least in my opinion got political suggesting that they would lower rates heading into this year <clears throat> Um, despite the fact that inflation was 50% above their target when they said it. And of course, we saw a rally on the back of that. But this in on itself, I think, is concerning behavior when we're seeing markets that are being driven not so much by fundamentals, but more by Federal Reserve minutes and, and, and sentiment. That in on itself, I think, is a concerning thing. But if we focus on the fundamentals, I think it you know, spells very good long-term prospects for gold, given the nature of the problems that we have, right? We have inflation, which is sticky. We have recession on the horizon. And I think our biggest issue in the form of de-dollarization that's happening around the globe these things, as negative as they are, bode very well, I think, for the longer term prospects. So we'll see volatility. I'm predicting it this year. Like you said, I don't know if the Federal Reserve 
really they're in uncharted territory here uh, so i think we'll see volatility but i think the fundamentals are still very very strong for gold you know and there's another variable and the uh, fed claims they have no control of this but i say they instigated and that is dealing with the budget and the de deficits you know so often when i was in washington and the federal reserve board chairman would be before the committee i would ask him about this and they usually deferred you know about the deficit they usually deferred to the Congress. They spend the money and we have to do what they say. But the other way to look at that is the Congress does it because they're partners with the Federal Reserve because mm -hmm. they know the Fed is going to print the, print the money. But they go back and forth and uh, they leave out the people who suffer the consequence because long term, you know, the people will have to pay for it. But there has been budget discussion. And uh, I sat through those things for many years. And uh, really, it didn't take long for me to come to the conclusion is all talk uh, it, it doesn't give a budget that they live by it has nothing to do with a business person that has to deal with a budget and uh, they, they they talk about this they can change it they can increase it they can always have emergencies but what are the numbers this year I guess they didn't cut very much or not even pretending to cut anything because if they're pretending to cut I probably wouldn't believe them anyway uh, yeah, it it was it was more of more of the same, quite frankly. And we're getting a lot of rhetoric from the administration, and I would argue some gaslighting as well. But the numbers really don't support it. I mean, you know, the introductory message for the budget suggested, and this was a direct quote. Biden said, "Throughout, we have delivered on our commitment to fiscal responsibility." cutting the deficit by more than 1.7 trillion in the first two years of the administration. But, you know, fiscal responsibility sounds impressive, but I'm not sure it's the reality of the, the situation. I think a quick look at the numbers really dispels the notion over the next 10 years from 24 up until 33, the total deficit is projected at 17.16 trillion. There will not be a single year in which the deficit will be less than $1.5 trillion. And that's all assuming that there are no intervening wars, recessions, or other spending sprees in that time period. But to think about that for a moment, right? Responsibility is now defined as spending at least $1.5 trillion more than the government extracts in <laughs> right. revenue every single year for the foreseeable future. Federal spending is now projected to grow uh, from $6.9 trillion in 2024 to over $10 trillion in 2033. So the one thing that's clear there isn't a plan in mind and you know spending is is the name of the game moving forward and i think that just ends very poorly without a sharp change in direction you know uh, we all talk about and the people are becoming aware of it and even the the average uh pundit on TV knows that there's a big debt, uh, it's $33 trillion, and there is a how is it ever going to get paid? But then they go and do, do the same thing again, because it, it isn't one party. You could say, well, it's, it's only the Democrats that spend the money. But the record shows that it is a bipartisan thing. So when people cry out, what we need is more bipartisan, I say, well, so far we have too much bipartisanship, because they're the ones who finally passed the budget, uh, and they and they endorse all this activity. They endorse this foreign adventurism. So I think that bipartisanship is a big deal. But you know, the one thing they don't talk about a whole lot, 
I think is very significant because this will be the bottom line because it depends on other factors. And that's the unfunded liabilities. And there are some predicting now uh, that, uh, you know, Social Security is going to be in real trouble, uh, you know, in, in less than 10 years and maybe sooner. And I don't think they can predict exactly when because uh, if there's a, a big dip in employment, you know, the cash flow is different but, and there's so many variables. But what about this unfunded liability? Does a number come to you about uh, what people, because I see different numbers referring to how much we really owe, you know, if, if you were a business and it, just because it wasn't funded and you owed the money, it would be a significant number. But that number has to be huge as well. It is. I, we hear varying numbers, of course. I think over $100 trillion. Um, the reality is, you know, I don't see how we pay our unfunded liabilities in the situation we are, particularly in a climate of mounting debt and mounting debt service. You mentioned Social Security. Debt payments last year were essentially the same as Social Security outlays. So the reality is there isn't a plan. There isn't really even a plan to pay for, you know, the, the, the budget shortfall, right? Biden's talking about taxing, right? He's saying wealthy corporations and individuals aren't paying enough taxes. So the solution is to tax them more. But even by, you know, the own the, the administration's own numbers on increasing taxes, it would bring in about $120 billion in, in, in extra revenue. Furthermore, the 10-year deficit projections include these increase in taxes. So, you know, we've got about 6.6% of deficit reduction over the next decade. Where is the other 93% of the money coming from? Presumably, that money will be borrowed. So, you know, there isn't a way to meet our unfunded liabilities. The direction we're heading now is to amass more debt. And any student of history understand, understands how that ends for empires. It always ends in the same way. Yes. And uh, some days I think about this and worry about it, uh, but also I'm really very realistic on what's going to happen and what they say doesn't count very much. But uh, does it ever come across your mind some days like it does for me? I'll say, you know, how's it, how, why is it held together, you know? And I come up with a few excuses like, well, everybody else is worse than we are, and we still have the military, and we, we still have a reserve currency and, and different things. But it is rather and amazing because I was very, very much involved in thinking about, and it, it had an effect on me on the breakdown of the Bretton Woods. You know, when that was a declaration of, of bankruptcy, we couldn't honor our dollar at gold. And that was a major thing, but we got through it and uh, yet there's more times there's crisis I think is when the theoretical fund of the Social Security so we can borrow from that and fudge the figures but eventually that fund will be gone and uh, I just I just think that it's it's amazing it's held together but it doesn't convince me that we should be complacent about it I, I agree vehemently with that. It, it surprises me, too. I think the key, though, is our position as, as global reserve currency, right? That's what's allowed us to amass the debt, to service the debt at levels. And that's why I say de-dollarization may be the biggest 
sort of obstacle on the horizon because as long as the dollar is king like i said it allows us to amass debt and do what we've been doing but as the demand for the dollar wanes obviously we would have to start to make our debt more attractive raising interest rates with the level of debt that we have that could kill us from the inside so that's why i think of all of our issues this longer term potential loss of global reserve currency and i say longer term on purpose i don't think there is a natural suitor yet but it certainly feels that the wheels are in motion and we are losing a grip and i think if we do ultimately the ability to muddle through will disappear yeah you know uh they use terminology that can scare the people and also appeal to the people who have to pay the taxes and say, well, it's a national, a national emergency. National security is important. They're, going to, they're attacking us. And they're able to galvanize people and say, well, you guys know it and we have to be safe and secure and there's an emergency going on and uh, the people can't. That's one of the things that it's very hard for members to vote against something that is portrayed as necessary necessary for national security so that's ongoing because if if they take care of one problem that they get a new one the next days and sometimes they they plan for the third one but uh the and, and also what they'll do in order to get some of this stuff passed is uh you you, you know the humanitarian instincts and somehow people believe uh, i think it's less and less because of this disaster we have on our borders that we have uh you know there's a and I, I feel the instincts. It's a, such a tragedy and a mess. I blame it all on government policy, but it's still so tragic. So the humanitarian instincts of people who who lose their jobs or they are out on the street, uh, a, a lot of people are moved by that and say, well, we have to help them and, and take care of them. But the, the thing that the government, I think, gets away with is they don't say, well, we messed it up. <laughs> we, we need to change ourselves. We can't just say, that's the excuse for doing, digging in and having more debt and all. So this whole idea about national security and us needing to be humanitarians or we should feel guilty about ourselves seems to motivate the spending. It, it absolutely does. And, you know, there's a lot of emergencies. And, and this is sort of the, the rhetoric that is used when the government needs to force something through. Hey, we're, we're backed into a corner. It's a national emergency. We, we, we have to spend. But, I, uh, you know, the, the problem, I think, and I agree with you, I think it's bipartisan. Uh, you know, I think this administration has gaslit us in a way that we haven't been gaslit as the American people for a long time. But if we talk about spending, it's certainly bipartisan. The problem, as I see it, though, is is to a degree the system. And I'm not sure it's a problem that we can fix, but we need to politicians need to start looking beyond two and four year election cycles right and i think as long as we can start doing that that will ultimately fix the problems right but you know until until we can do that i think politicians will be politicians and they're going to kick the can further down the road to give themselves a, a sort of smooth passage and let the next guy deal with it and i think that's in large part why we have the scale of the problem that we do today. And I think we just need to start looking a little bit further than the next election cycle. Because if we do, you know, it's time to go through some tough times. 
to have a brighter future. But to try and kick the can further down the road consistently, it's only going to end in one way. You know, there's another factor that affects a large number of people, a very large number of people in this country, is the educational system we have. Because our, our educational system has definitely morphed from something different 150 years ago to, you know, the progressive era and the acceptance of socialism and welfareism and all the nonsense and, and accepting the idea that we have to manage an empire. But uh, in con Congress, uh, I, w I enjoyed talking and trying to understand how the other side thinks about it. And some of them were interesting because uh, they had different views. But then it dawned on me, if you look at a group of people that find their way into Congress, that uh, they, most of them got their education from a government school. <laughs> and most of them learned Keynesian economics. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not going to, you know, think about free market economics. I mean, yeah, there are bits and pieces that, that have come together and it's out there. And I think there's some background going on right now that uh, in spite of the fact of the shrinkage of some of our civil liberties, I think there's still, you, you know, we, you, you and I get to talk on, on a program. We don't have millions of people, but at least we're able to do that. So I think... I think it's out there and there are educational groups that, uh, you know, participate in talking about economics uh, uh, in, in a different way and then talking about sound money. And uh, I think as long as we can talk about that, I think more people support our views on that uh, than we know about because we don't have control. One thing we don't have control of is the propaganda machine to generate, you know, the enthusiasm for putting up with this nonsense. But I think people are getting tired of it. I think, you know, just like COVID, uh, all that aggressive uh, attitude about how to regulate people. People finally woke up and said, we, we don't like this stuff. Uh, you know, we, we don't like the lockdown. So uh, I, I always try to uh, put into my thoughts, you know, where are things positive? And, you know, in the one other area that you and I talk about a lot is, yes, you have to do that in a general sense of education, but you also have to do that to prepare if it is true that this is a serious, serious problem that we like to participate and talking to people what they can do financially to uh, be able to protect themselves on what is coming. And we can always hope it won't get as bad as some of us think it's going to be. But I think that's important as well. And that's one reason why uh, yeah, we work together with Birch Gold. Uh, I mean, I couldn't agree more with that. Education is, is key to everything. It's key to fixing every problem. The ability to discuss, to have discourse is key to a democracy. And that is why democracies have creativity, right? Dictatorships <laughs> have, have some advantages in, in sort of long-term plans, but they lack the creativity. And creativity comes through discourse. But look, I, I, I agree with you. I think education is key. It is what we are very big on uh, with Birch Gold Group. We, we like to educate people. We give them free information, historical information, as we always say, history is key. Um, but I think once you have the knowledge, then solutions start to present themselves. So I, I couldn't agree more with that. It's the most important thing. Uh, that's, that's right. And a lot more people are doing this. They said that uh, there were, weren't riots in uh, 1933 when uh, Roosevelt 
took the gold in. You weren't even allowed to own it. And that lasted a long time. But people weren't attuned to it. They were suffering from deflation and a lot of other problems. But I think the general atmosphere now, because of, uh, of groups and the education of Birch Gold, that people are more aware of it and more people are prepared. And that, that I think is, is good. And that's why we participate in it. And that's why we offer you know, the ability to reach that. And if people, uh, if people want to uh, reach out to Birch Gold, uh, if they text RON at 9898898, they'll be able to sign up and get some of this information. They don't, do not charge about this because you could get the information and decide for yourself if it can be helpful. I happen to have come to that conclusion a long time ago. Uh, because the event of 1971 when they closed the gold window, I mean, that really caught my attention because the predictions of the 60s came true and it was epitomized by uh, what Nixon did in 1971. And, uh, and, and yet we continue and we uh, seem to be able to get away with it, but that's why we like as many people to be prepared as possible. And I would also like to uh, thank our viewers for tuning in uh, to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.